you can't preach after that, you need to retire. That's all I'm going to say, because that was incredible. Um, man, thank you, Tommy, for putting that all together. Worship team, production team. Um, wow, that was special, y'all. That was, I honestly feel like, it's like, do I need to preach? Like, it's kind of like, we can go home, right? We, we've had church. This has been amazing already this morning. Um, so if you got something burning on the stove and you want to go home, you're good to go. You can really go. If you don't want to listen to this, um, man, that was, that was worth coming to church. Just, just that part of it. So thank you guys for all you do. And every week it's amazing. Um, of course being Christmas Eve, it's even, I think a little more special, uh, and be able to do that together as a church family. So we are, uh, in case you're new um, to us, or the first week you haven't been here in a little while, uh, we are wrapping up a two-week Christmas series uh, called Prophecy That Leads to Peace. Now, last week what we did is we spent a little bit of time uh, looking at the prophecy side of Jesus' birth. Now, we did that, and I told you this last week, for a very specific reason. And I gave you actually two reasons why it's so important that we know those prophecies. I know some of us are kind of like, ah, it's Old Testament stuff. Is it really that important? It really is. And the first reason that I gave us, I was like, this is why you need to know it, was that they prove, I'm sorry, that it reminds us that God is faithful to his promises. When you go through something, and you will go through something if you haven't already, there's going to be times in your life that you're going to need to cling to the promises of God. And you're going to need to know, you know what? It's true. And it's real. And he will always come through and do what he says he's going to do. And so I read this scripture to you, Psalm 145, 13. It says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. It reminds us that God is faithful to his promises. The other thing, the second thing I gave you, the, why the prophecies are so important, is that they prove that Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. You know, we, over 300 prophecies fulfilled in the life of Jesus. That's not something that happens accidentally. We even talked about how it's mathematically impossible for that to be accidental in one person. What it proves is that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Messiah. So again, I said this last week, but so because Christmas tends to be surrounded by a whole lot of make-believe, I want to make it emphatically clear to us as a church and here this morning that the story of Jesus being born Jesus literally coming to save us. It's anything but make-believe. It's truth. It is truth. It's a promise that was fulfilled. And that should bring us joy and peace and hope and all the things that we've been singing about already this morning. So that's the prophecy side of this uh, this morning. And again, this day before Christmas, that I, this Christmas Eve service, it, it's great to remember those things. But I want us to also look at the peace that Jesus brings. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. Those of you who want to follow along, you feel free to pull out your iPhones, iPads, Androids, whatever it is, if you have those as well. Um, Luke chapter 2, we're going to be reading the Christmas story from Luke's account this morning. And we're going to be paying a lot of attention specifically to verse uh, 14. Um, but this is what it says. Okay, we're going to read this together. <clears throat> it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that, should, or that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to Judea, 
to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. Now that's a story that I'm going to guess many of us, if not maybe most of us, have heard at some point or another in our life. Whether you're a, I don't know, a, a Charlie Brown fan, and you've heard that, uh, that part of Scripture read before, or you've just gone to church before, you've heard it, you've heard it somewhere. But I'm going to be a little transparent with you for a minute. From a pastor's perspective, when, you, when you're, I'm going to say older, because some of you are like, you're not old, or you don't even know what old is. I get that. And then others of you are like, no, you're old, because you're young. But I'm somewhere in between, right? All I'm telling you is, when you've been a pastor for a long time, and when you've been especially at a church like I have for 23 years, you, you've preached this story, you preach this story every single year for 23 years. What ends up happening is you've likely taught this story from about every angle that you feel like you can teach it from. And the angle of, of Mary's perspective, the angle of Joseph's perspective, the angle of the, sheriff, the, the, the shepherd's perspective, the, the wise men, so on and on and on and on. You try to find all these things. And here's the danger in this, and I've, I've seen so many pastors do this. After you've preached the story from so many different angles, if you aren't careful, to me, you begin to reach. You begin, you begin to reach a little too far, and suddenly you're making up what could have maybe possibly been the view from, say, like the innkeeper. Well, the innkeeper, I don't mean to ruin your Christmas story, but the innkeeper's not in the story, right? It just says there's no room in the inn. Now, I know all your plays and your, your kids' pageants and all those things, they have that built in a lot of times. But it's not, you know, some of you are going, wait a minute, what in the world? I thought that was in there. It's not in there, okay? It's just a, there was no room. So we don't know there's literally an innkeeper, but that you start preaching and teaching this so much that you start going, okay, let's go from a different angle. Let's make this one kind of up a little bit to make it a better story. And then, of course, there's others that start making up animals that aren't even talked about being there, but we want them to be there because they're in our Christmas songs. And so we start trying to make that a viewpoint, or as you all know, big pet peeve of mine, if you've been coming here, you know this, you start preaching that three wise men, which you don't even know there were three or not, and you start preaching them at the birth of Jesus, but they weren't at the birth of Jesus, right? We know that he was when he was a child, it was probably a couple years old before the wise men ever showed up. And so what I'm trying to say is, Many of you have unbiblical major scenes in your front lawns and in your homes. You need to go get rid of them, all right? That's what I'm not really trying to say that. You should be ashamed of yourselves. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to get at is that any time we have a story like this one, and we need to understand one of the most important stories in all of the world, 
And it has a ton of nostalgia around it. And it has just a ton of made up, and, I, and I'm not going to harp on this, but biblically incorrect Christmas songs written about it that people throw stuff in. And then people sing those so much and hear those so much, they start believing like that's what everything is versus they don't read their Bible. And so they don't really know that that's, that's not in there. That somebody added that. But we go down this road, it's just super easy for us to get off into the weeds. And here's the, the part I want to understand. And when we do that, we can lessen, if not lose, the meaning of the Christmas story altogether. So we're not going to make up a bunch of things this morning as a way to try to freshen up a very familiar story. We're not doing that at all. Instead, we're going to go right to the text that we just read. We're going to focus this morning heavily on what it says, especially on that angelic moment, that, that announcement that they made in verse 14. So I want to start by doing this. I want us to get a true picture. Probably have a picture in your mind, again, that's been influenced throughout your life of major scenes you've seen or something you've seen on TV or who knows what songs you sung. But let's get a true biblical picture here of what's happening. What we do know is we read in verse 8 that it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So we definitely know this is a night scene. This happened at night. We, we get that. There's no doubt about that. And then we read in verse 13 that in addition to one angel in verse 10, that verse 13 says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. Now that term, company, it's actually a Greek term that means an army. So I want you to, if you're going to use your imaginations, use your imaginations in, with the real text here. Imagine this morning the night sky just completely lit up with an army of angels declaring glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. What an incredible moment this must have been. An incredible night that literally changed everything. For all of eternity, this is the moment in time everything changed. And when we look at the angels and what they're announcing, I just want us to focus specifically on, as it's the title of this series, this word peace. <clears throat> because this is what this great army of angels were declaring. They were declaring peace. Now, Here's the million-dollar question, right? This is kind of where we can miss it at points. What kind of peace are these angels really talking about? Because here's the thing. When I look around the earth, right, I don't see too much peace. I don't, I don't know about you. Now, I'm not saying there's not places or moments or things where we see some peace. But I, what I am saying is when I look around, I see that we have wars that seem to be breaking out every few months. It's like there's another country at war with another country. And then every... These natural disasters, right? It's like every season of the, those come along, whether it's hurricane season or tornado season or whatever it is, flood season. It's just like we have all these natural disasters that are happening around us everywhere. And being in Florida, if you've lived here long enough, you've gone through some of these things, and they're, they're just catastrophic at times. And so it's anything but peace in those moments. And so then you have these people that, in general, you look around, and with the Internet, it's just so much more in our face every day. It just seems like people are getting more and more evil. And so you, you, you just kind of look at this and you go, what kind of peace are these angels referring to? Where is this peace on earth? Well, before you can answer where, where they say peace is found, I want to clarify where it's not found. This is important that you see the other side of it first so you can understand what they are saying. And so the first thing I want us to understand and know is that peace is not found in a place. 
Peace is not found in a place. Now, when you read what the angels just said, right, or were announcing, it could seem like you'd be like, wait a minute, Darren, I don't think this goes together because the angels just said peace on earth, and earth is a place, right? And I, I had this discussion with my daughter Haley this morning, right? She's like, oh, Lord, I'm back one Sunday, and I'm in the sermon. Of course I am. So we, she has a shirt on this morning. So she came down, it has this peace on earth, and I was like, I need to tell you what I'm talking about because you're going to feel like I'm attacking your sweatshirt this morning. And I don't mean to do that to you. I don't want you to have to walk out of church like this and be like, my dad just destroyed me in my shirt. I'm not trying to do that. If you have anything on your shirts this, this morning that say peace on earth, I'm not saying I'm against peace on earth. What I'm trying to say is I think we get this messed up, though. We think of this differently. We actually think it says something differently than what it actually says. It's not the text. What, that's not what the text says. Actually, all of the major Bible translations, when you read this, it says, on earth, peace to men, or on earth, peace to those who, on whom his favor rests. It's peace to men. It's not peace on earth. The angels are not saying that you and I or anyone will have peace on earth. The peace the angels are saying will come is for all people, yes, But they are not saying that because Jesus has come into the world that there will be peace on earth. And if you've read your Bible and you know that it was anything but peace on earth even after Jesus was born. So if that's what the angels were proclaiming, that peace on earth is the peace here while we're here on earth, then that's not what happened at all. It would seem like, okay, well, y'all messed that up. But that's not what they were saying at all. Even Jesus himself made it emphatically clear that he did not come to bring peace on earth. I don't know if you know that or not, but he says it himself out of his own mouth. In, in Luke chapter 12, verse 51 through 53, Jesus says, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. For some of you, it kind of sounds like your Christmas together at your house, right? Kind of like, that kind of sounds more like our family. But but here's the point that Jesus is making. Um, He says, don't be shocked. There's going to be conflict on earth. Because of me. He's saying it's, it's, it's because of me. There will be strife. There's going to be issues even in our own family. Some will believe and some will not. And it's going to cause division. He was preparing us for that. He wanted us to know that. So the angels were not proclaiming that earth will now become a peaceful place because Jesus was born. Now, with that being said, and to help my daughter and all of the rest of you that have these shirts, I'm not saying go burn them. What I'm saying, because... Peace on earth is something that we should all strive for. It's something we should all want. And even as a nation, we should be trying to achieve. We should all do all we can to fight for peace on earth. But we have to understand that even if we achieve it for a time, and some of us can do that, right? Some of us have our place of peace. Some of us have our vacation spot of peace. Some of us can just kind of get away for a little while, and we're almost like this is a little slice of peace, a little slice of heaven. I lo- and, and you can get there, possibly. If you're lucky enough, you, you, you are blessed enough, I should say, you could get somewhere to where you feel pe- at peace for a little while, whether it's an hour or it's a day or it's a week or whatever it is. But eventually you're going to come back to reality. Eventually it's not going to be there anymore because it's temporary here on this earth. Because we live in a fallen world. The earth is filled with sinful, flawed people. And therefore, this is the whole point of Jesus coming, right? We needed a Savior. 
But he, his coming did not bring peace on earth. So peace is not found in a place. The second thing that we have to understand about peace is peace is not found in a position. What that means is peace is not found by achieving certain status in life. Meaning we can't think, if I can just get to this certain position in life, then I will have peace. Here, I'm going to talk a little bit to some of you that are younger. You're, you're going to, you won't, you may or may, you're going to learn from this. Those of us who are older, you're probably going to be like, oh boy, yep, that was me. I get it. I remember those days. Because what happens here is typically right around, you know, I don't know, 17 years old, somewhere in there, maybe 16, 17 years old, we start longing for some type of position in our lives. Meaning when I, man, I can't wait to be 18. I just can't wait to be 18 because when I'm 18, then I get to move out of this place. I get to move out of this house. My parents always nagging at me or whatever. I'm so glad I get to move on. I can get my own place. I get my own vehicle. I get my own job. I get to, and I'm going to have peace. And then all of a sudden you get your rent starts coming due. And then you realize you've got to put gas in your car and food. Oh, wait a minute. When mama cooked it for me, it was free. Now I got to pay for it. And all of a sudden you're like, mama, dad's house. This is so bad, right? But you think at 18, everything's going to be better. I'm going to have peace finally. And then if it's not, then it's just, you start looking more and more forward and you go, you know what? I'm going to meet Mr. Wright. I'm going to meet Mrs. Wright, and they're going to be amazing. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. And I'm going to get married. And once I get married, then there's going to be peace. <laughs> For you young people, the people laughing are the ones that are married. I'm just going to let you know. They're like, oh, I thought that at one point too. Good luck, right? So it's kind of like, and then even when you're married, then it seems like sometimes we forget. We, we You know what, though? I know what it's going to be. It's going to be, you know what, if, if God will just let me have kids, if I could just have kids, then I will have peace, right? If you don't have kids yet, those are the parents that are now, even it was more of a groan even, more than it was a laugh, kind of like, Oh, gosh, yeah. It, those things are, let me say this. I don't want to be like the Grinch or whatever up here and say, like, uh, life just is horrible, so good luck, you know? I don't want to say that. There are good things about all those things. You just have to be careful. I have to be careful that we're not saying that those things, that position is somehow going to give me some kind of peace. And if it's not that, again, maybe you're just really into your job and you're trying to say, you know what? If I could just become the manager, if I could just make a little bit more money, I know that this would help me. This would somehow bring me peace. This position is going to give me peace. I'm going to tell you, in all their own unique ways, those things, while they're good, and I'm not saying we shouldn't strive for those things, they're good in and of themselves, but you need to know this, and I need to be reminded of this, they bring difficulty at times, even heartache and disappointment. That's why it's so dangerous when we attach our peace to a position in life, because what happens all of a sudden, you know, put yourself here, right? If, if it's attached, if your peace is attached to a position in life, what happens when your spouse wants to get a divorce? What happens to your peace then? What if somebody dies? What happens if you lose your job? See, if our peace is wrapped up in a position in life, whenever difficulty comes in that area, and there's going to be difficulty, you just heard it in all of our laughs and groans, and there's going to be problems at times. Our peace, if it's wrapped up in that, it's all of a sudden going to be gone the moment that there's difficulty or something doesn't work out like we wish it would have. So no, peace isn't found in a place or a position. 
It's also not found in possessions. Peace is not found in possessions. And now I'm sure, because you all are super holy people that are here this morning, if we took a poll and I said, do you think peace is found in possessions, you would all be like, oh, of course not. Of course not, Pastor. They're not found in possessions. We, we know that. We know that peace isn't found in possessions. Who would ever think that? But get past your holiness for a minute and get to your reality, right? Get to, get to honesty in, in your life. And many times our lives... They say we believe something different. Our actions say that we believe something a little different. Many people buy things because they think that it will make them happier. It will, it will somehow make their life better. It, I mean, it literally has a name for it. It's called retail therapy. Okay? It's really, there's people that they call it this. And so some of the, the husbands are like, Lord knows my wife. I don't know how, we know the UPS guy literally by, by his first name. Like we, it's every day there's a new package, right? There, it's like retail therapy. And we do this. It's, and again, I'm going to give you this. It's scientifically proven that buying things or getting new things, it does have this positive effect on our brains. It does release this dopamine, that, and it's why it's addictive, because you think, oh, I'm going to get something new that's going to make me feel better. And it probably will for a time. But it's also proven that it doesn't last. No amount of money or things can bring you true peace. <clears throat> Matter of fact, Jesus warns against it in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Now, I don't know if you have ever had the privilege to go to a third world country or not. I've had the privilege to go to a few. And every time I go, and as you guys know, even our church, we go to the Dominican Republic every single year. And so I've been there many times. I've been to the Philippines. I've been to these places where massively under-resourced people live. And if you've gone even on the trips that we take every year to the Dominican, we've got a ton of people there that we've formed friendships with and we love and, and a ton of relationships that we just, they're amazing. But every year we go down there, at some point usually we end up in some kind of an under-resourced area and you are invited in to homes. And some of these homes, they're just dirt floors. Dirt floor homes, you, you and I maybe would even refer to it, I wouldn't even call that a home, I'd call it a shack or I'd call it a whatever, but they invite us in and you go in and you begin to talk to them and you begin to pray with them or just sit and visit with them for a little bit. And every single time, I just when I'm there, I just realize they are some of the most welcoming, happy, loving, peaceful people that I've ever met. And yet they don't have hardly anything. And then I come back. What's so striking to me is then I'll come back to the U.S. I come back to America where I visit with people who have literally everything in comparison and more. And no one seems to have any peace. Everyone just wishes they had more, more stuff, more, had more like so-and-so, more like this. I wish God would give. And it's, there's no peace and the reason is peace is not tied to possessions. I mean, how many times do we have to hear the stories before we start believing them? How many times do we have to, to hear from athletes and musicians, movie stars, or even the super wealthy businessmen and businesswomen before we're going to believe their testimonies? Their testimonies all the time of how possessions don't bring them peace. I literally heard one this last week. I was preparing for this, this series and, and this sermon in particular, and uh, Older people, you'll know this person. Younger people are like, who in the world is that? Okay, he's a musician. His name is Eric, Eric Clapton, okay? And this was his, this is what I, it was a video of him, and this is 
his exact words. And I'm going to quote his words. He says, materialistic acquisition is a funny thing. I knew that there was something wrong with that as a philosophy. Because by the time I was 23, I had everything a man could want. I was a millionaire. I had beautiful women in my life. I had cars, a house, a solid gold career, and a future. And yet, on a daily basis, I wanted to commit suicide. Why? I mean, we would go, man, put me in your, that position, and I wouldn't feel that way. No, I, I don't believe that's true. I think we believe that. I, he, I'm sure, believed that prior to becoming famous and getting all kinds of money and things and had everything he could ever want. So why? How could all these possessions that a man could ever want, having those things not bring him peace? It's because peace is not found in possessions. See, what the angels were proclaiming was this truth. Peace is found in a person, in Jesus Christ. This is what they were proclaiming. This is what the angels were declaring when they said, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those whom his favor rests. True peace is found in Jesus. We only find eternal peace in him, in a relationship with him. Church, his birth was an announcement about the peace that only he brings. Later, Jesus himself would say, making a, a distinct difference, by the way, between the peace offered in this world and his own peace. He would say this in John 14, verse 27. Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus was saying, my peace is a different kind. It's a different kind of peace. It's both an internal and eternal peace. Many people will look for it, try to achieve it in a place. They'll try to achieve it in a possession. They'll try to achieve it in a position. Not going to find it. Not a peace that lasts through anything. Now, I know that some of you thinkers especially are going to go, I know a lot of people there in this world, and yet and they don't know Jesus. But they're super happy. They're super happy, man. They seem like they've got it going on, and they seem pretty much at peace, and they don't even know Jesus. So how can you say this? What I'm telling you is this. Their happiness, their joy, their contentment, their peace, it's only temporary. Number one, because if they don't know Jesus, when he comes back, their, their peace is going to be definitely be gone. Or they pass away, and they don't know Jesus, they're definitely not going to be at peace. But even more than that, their peace is based on circumstances. As long as things go well, they're going to be at peace. But the moment their world falls apart, where is their eternal peace then? Where's the peace that passes all understanding that Scripture says we have in Jesus? Peace in the midst of the storm. Peace of knowing that God has a plan and is with them. It's the peace of Christ that guards our hearts. We need to know that. We need to remember that and believe that. Remember how Jesus summed up everything he had to say in the Gospels by referring to peace? He said this in, in uh, uh, John 16, 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He's trying to teach his disciples and, of course, us even today that everything is connected, especially peace, to who he is. And to a relationship with him. You remember the first words that Jesus spoke to his disciples after his resurrection. He said in John 20, verse 19, peace be with you. And then he repeats it even a couple of verses later. Peace be with you. He wanted them to have his peace. 
We can never forget that God is our ultimate source of peace and that it cannot be obtained or found in anything or anyone else. It's why the prophet Isaiah would write, seven, get this, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, this is what he wrote. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and what else? Prince of Peace. When we place our trust in Jesus, there is this an instant peace of knowing that he's got us. He's got us. Knowing that we are forgiven of our sin. Knowing this is not our home. That the promise of heaven is to come. Feeling peace in the midst of tragedy. A peace that passes all understanding. Church, there's a lot of people in this world who don't have that peace. And the truth is, there may be some of you here this morning, or even those of you watching online, and you're like, I don't know Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I don't, I don't have that peace. And I read something a few weeks back that really stuck with me, and it was actually one of the questions that was in our D group this last week. And by the way, if you're not in a D group, I'm just going to keep telling you, get it plugged into one next year when they start back up. Get into one because it's so good to sit around with brothers and sisters and talk about these types of things together. And so it, it was a question in our D group, but it was something I'd read a few weeks ago. And, and I, it, I read about how Christmas is a magnifier. Christmas is a magnifier, meaning that everything, uh, if everything is going good at Christmas time, right, for you, like things are good in your life at Christmas, then things are really good at Christmas time. But if things are difficult, this time of year is really difficult. If you're struggling right now, if there's something going on in your life that's tough, it's really hard at Christmas time. Some people are very lonely, and so it makes Christmas almost unbearable. Some people have lost a loved one recently, and so this is going to be the first Christmas that they've had without that loved one, and so there's going to be tears shed because it's hard. For some, finances are really tight right now, and providing Christmas gifts is almost impossible, so it makes this time super difficult to navigate, and Christmas isn't so cheery for you. There's all kinds of heartaches that can be attached. And of course, like I've said, they are magnified during this time of year. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. Especially to those of you who may not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you don't know this peace these angels are proclaiming in our text. Christmas, though we get so distracted with so many other things. Hear me on this, okay? Christmas is about God stepping into our world to offer you salvation and peace, a peace that is eternal. That's what this is about. It doesn't come and go with circumstances, but it does only come with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior this morning, I'm gonna, I want to offer you the greatest gift of your life. The greatest gift to mankind, the opportunity to make a personal decision to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. You could have that gift this morning. And it truly is a gift. None of us can do anything to earn it or deserve it. There's nobody in this room, there's nobody watching this online that has ever deserved it. It's not like Jesus came, he's like, okay, there's a few good people. 
He came because he said, you're all going to hell without me. And so I love you too much to leave you that way. I'm going to send my son. Salvation comes from the Lord as a free gift. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the Bible says none of us deserve it, but God in his extravagant love for us wanted to save us from our sins. That's why Jesus came to this earth. This is why we celebrate Christmas. You need to understand, and I hope this will resonate with you every time you look at a manger scene, that baby in our manger scenes was and is our only hope of salvation. He's the only source of eternal peace, church. God so loved us that he gave his one and only son who was willing to leave heaven and be born into a sin-infested world so he could one day die in our place, die in your place, so we could be saved, so you could be saved. Realize that, in a sense, Christmas is really all about you. It's about God's love for you. That baby in the manger, that announcement was heaven proclaiming to you and to me, God loves you. Whether you feel that or not, I'm telling you right now, it's the truth. God loves you. And you are not forgotten. That's why Jesus came, because we were not forgotten. That's why we got to remember these prophecies, because once we see them all coming true, we're like, there's no way this is an accident. It's just God says something, he does it. And when Jesus came and was born, it was God once again fulfilling his promises to save us. And when he died on the cross, it was another promise for us. That, Listen, I will take away your sin. And there's another promise that says he's coming back for us, and that's going to happen too. And heaven's going to happen. And we just, so when we see this, when we hear this, a Savior has been born. A rescue mission has begun for your soul. Peace on earth? No, not really. Maybe for a few minutes, maybe a week or two, temporary. Peace on earth? No. Peace for those who place their trust in Jesus? Yes. And not just for today or in times of trouble, but for all eternity. This is why we celebrate Christmas. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray.